Craft Beer Radio, episode 113, April 28, 2007. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, the show dedicated to craft beer and the craft brewing industry. I'm Greg Weiss. I'm Jeff Bear, And joining us from the Brewers Association... Hi, I'm Julia Hurst. She's the Craft Beer Program Director at the Brewers Association, and uh, she's been on a show before, and she's joining us again to talk about Savor and to enjoy some Denver beers. Yeah, we're doing a show, and um, I, I was trying to figure out how to do a style show and pick beers that were in Pittsburgh and in you know Boulder, Colorado. Right. I know they get beers other than beers that are made just in Denver, yeah. but I don't know which ones, and I don't know how much time she had to go hunting for you know these oddball beers. So we just picked a show of beers that are all Denver area breweries. Unfortunately, in Pittsburgh, I couldn't put together a single style show. I was aiming for like pale ales, so we're going to just do a Denver area sampler tonight. That's fine. We've done that before. First and- beer of the night is going to be the Flying Dog Classic Pale Ale, otherwise known as Doggy Style. Is it going to be another tele-tasting? Oh, wait. Did I buy the wrong beer? I might have bought the wrong beer, Julia. This is uh, this has fun. This is classic pale ale. I thought it was the same as doggy style, but it's not. My doggy style is a classic pale ale. Okay, this bottle doesn't say doggy style on it anywhere. It's above where it says classic pale ale. No. Is it a bluish label? It's yeah. a bluish label. It has a, a dog with mechanical wings on it. Yeah, maybe you have, like, you know when you got an album in the old days and they'd, like, have an extra jacket cover? You have a collectible. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there's something about not saying doggy style in Pennsylvania. Interesting. That could be. That's a good point. Oh, wow. What a cool difference to note. Because I I thought I grabbed doggy style, but it's not on the label anywhere. Fascinating. Because we've gotten beer from Flying Dog before. We've seen Flying Dog. Doggy style. Doggy style. So, yeah. Flying Dog, the marketing director, and ask him if they can't say doggy style. I will. That's 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 interesting. So again, Julia's doing the teletasting with us. We got really great feedback for last time you were on the show, Julia. Everyone loved the teletasting and uh, really enjoyed your yeah, part of the it's, show. So. It's been long overdue, I think, because people liked it so much. But again, I'm doing all I can to do the regular show, let alone line up guests. So. <laughs> Okay, so we got the Doggy Style, or the uh, Flying Dog Classic Pale Ale here in Pennsylvania. Right. And uh, it pours a nice uh, nice brown. It's, a, it's crystal clear. It's the color of uh, iced tea, pretty much. A little bit lighter. Just a tad lighter, I'd say. Nice hoppy aroma. Big, big hops on there. Yeah, the, the aroma, first whiff is um, hops. I think something along the line of Cascade. It's a bit citrusy. And the yeah. second aro- whiff I took was a lot more maltier. You get a lot of crystal malt. It smells like a good English-style pale ale. Very inviting in the aroma. Have anything to add to the aroma, Julia? Yeah, I think what you just said is true. It 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 shows both. You know, the hops do come forward first. Might be dry hops, but the malt still comes through, which I I really love. I appreciate a little balance in my pale ales. Yeah, I definitely like the ones that aren't mm-hmm. completely hops. I like ones that have a good English malt or you know crystal malt character to it. This is almost certainly Cascade. Very citrusy. A lot of tangy grapefruit from from the hop. Um, High carbonation in the flavor on this, and the mouthfeel on this one. Um, expect a very for pale ale. I typically expect a lower carbonated, but it's it's highly carbonated, but it's very tight bubbles. It has a very creamy, smooth feel to it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I get almost a little biscuity, and it it goes to dry. 
which mm-hmm. is nice. You yeah. Know, I, I, I have a sweet tooth, but I absolutely appreciate drier finished beers. On your bottle, Julian, the bottom left corner, there seems to be a production code. Um, just curious to see how far apart ours are, if we can tell from the code. Ours is uh, 0300SFX. What's yours? 147AO8. Okay, so wow. the letters really can't tell how that works. Is, does Flying Dog, do they uh, brew in Frederick, too? Yeah, actually, that maybe that's it. Maybe yours is made in uh, Denver and ours is made in Maryland. Moved all of their production to oh. Maryland now. Oh, okay, that's they right. Much of their staff. Um, we toured its Brewers Association right before a Rockies game, and that was kind of right before. And they even attribute um, some of the rising uh, cost of raw materials to their move, hmm. just to consolidate. So chances are, based on the date now, that this was these were both made in Maryland. Okay, interesting. So actually, it's closer to us than it is to yeah. her. <laughs> it turns out. But they're not going to d- drop Flying Dog in Denver, so no. they got to keep shipping there. So, Julie, why don't you tell us a little bit about the reason why you're on the show, which is Savor. Savor. Well, we are fortunate enough to have both you gentlemen coming to it, and um, I would love to uh, invite some of your uh, downloaders, unless we call them <laughs> listeners, um, to come to Savor, an American <laughs> craft beer and food experience. This is a big um, deal as a first-time event because it's a different venture for the Brewers Association the big picture is it's May 16th and 17th in D.C. at the Mellon Auditorium, which is a very gorgeous um, kind of higher-end venue. And uh, the whole purpose of Savor is to focus on beer and food pairings. So we've got 48 um, American craft brewers who uh, um, are in uh, all collecting together in the two-day period. And the thing that kind of sets Savor apart, uh, especially because of the beer and food, is that People in attendance will be personally served by the makers, meaning there will be some sales reps there and whatnot, but we really, really tried hard to get the breweries that were chosen to be involved in Savor because there was a lottery. There were more breweries um, than spots. Uh, So the breweries that are there are having, like, you know, Jim Cook from Boston Beer will be serving and speaking. you know, Shauna Sullivan from 21st Amendment. Uh, you know, Rob Todd will be there from Allagash. Adam Avery from Avery Brewing Company. And they'll all be behind their table serving. So we really wanted to make this a big showcase event. And it's also happening during, Amer- during American Craft Beer Week, which is May 12th to the 18th. And American Craft Beer Week, uh, several years strong now is a great excuse good to kind of talk about and give craft brewers the chance to talk about what amazing community citizens they are. The Brewers Association, um, they, we crunched numbers for last year for the very first time in our surveys of breweries, and over um, a thousand breweries responded to the survey, and about half of that we actually got tangible number from um, to give us an estimated number that craft brewers donated in 2007 over $20 million to charitable causes. And so it all ties into, look, this is a great time at Savor. Let's talk about what's so great about craft beer right now, especially with beer and food pairings becoming more of an interest of people. And by the way, it's American Craft Beer Week, and craft brewers do amazing things for our country and, um, you know, add to the culture of our country and provide jobs and, um, you know, good economies of scale for in, in the backyard communities that they're all involved in. So big mouthful answer, but Savor is happening, and the website is Savor Craft Beer. Dot com if people want to check it out. 
you know, that's very cool. The, um, that all the brewers are going to be there. Cause, you know, one of the things about the Great American Beer Festival is you can find brewers there. You know, you'll see Garrett behind his table. He's very diligent to staying behind his table at Brooklyn Brewing. But a lot of the time you'll walk up to a person and, you know, you'll try to, like, I was trying to get an interview and the only people there were people, you know, from the Denver area who were just volunteering for the Great American Beer Festival. And right. for me, that was a bit frustrating because they didn't know hardly anything about the beers other than what the names were. And, um, so Saver sounds like a, a prime chance to, to really be able to corner some brewers and get some interviews with them as well. Absolutely. And they want to be available. I mean, the thing with the Great American Beer Festival, and Jeff, you can, can tell your tales, but that's one big celebration and party. And the brewers want to get out and, and walk around the huge, huge convention center also. So the volunteers that are behind those booths are giving the brewers the, the chance to do that. And mm-hmm. so it, it's a great, great time for the brewers at GABF because they get to play a little too. And I mean, Saver is um, a little bit more of a quick hit. GABF is over three days, um, and Saver's got a Friday night session, Saturday day session, and a Saturday night session. The only difference actually between each tasting session are the educational salons. So if somebody, if you buy a ticket to get um, yourself into Saver, you have access to get into the educational salons. They'll be seated on a first-come, first-served basis with 100 people in the room um, at its maximum capacity. But these educational salons, I think, are a huge benefit. Um, and we also have a form of these at GABF, but they're in the midst of the hall, and it's, it's in the midst of the party, and it's, it's a noisy venue. Um, <laughs> To, to give some uh, a talk at, and, and Saver will be off in the side in, in kind of a green room and really some great speakers and just solely focused. These talks are going to be, I think, you know, mind-changing on beer and food for somebody that would walk in and maybe not such as, as both you guys, but people that want to know but don't know as much as they, as they think they can can really walk away educated on why beer and food is so significant. Right, right. Yeah, I wasn't really knocking the brewers for not being at their tables at the GABF. It's just, you know, they need, they have the right to go out and, you know, sample the wares of, you know, everyone across the country too. It's just, you know, when you're trying to talk to someone, it's like, man, I wish, you know, um, you know, someone from the brewery was there, especially like the Saturday night session when I was trying to cover that. That was, uh, <laughs> it was hard. It was, uh, slim pickings finding anyone at the brewery. I got to talk to Charlie at that session though, so he was there still. Yeah, Charlie's hardcore. Yep. You're referring to Charlie Papazian. Absolutely. Yep, Charlie Papazian, uh, father of, of homebrewing. Signer of my paycheck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I do have a quick question for you, Julia. The tickets for Saver are quite expensive. I mean, a lot more than your traditional beer fest or like, you know, GABF tickets. Why is it worth like the $80 that a Saver ticket costs? Yeah, so to get into Saver, and I agree because I watch every dollar as a festival attendee, you got to pick and choose. This isn't a beer festival. This is like going out to a beer pairing reception. It's reception style, meaning the food that we'll be serving um, will, won't be sit down. Each brewery that's going to savor, and again, there's 48 breweries, will have two beers and then two foods that they've personally chosen to pair with those beers. We also picked a lot of the recipes that are being served at Savor from Lucy Saunders' book, The Best of American um, Beer and Food. Oh, we've had her on, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as you guys know that book, and you've had Lucy on, and that that alone can kind of say we, this this menu is worth it. That the eighty five dollars is you know, East Coast DC. That's what it takes to be in that venue, kind of expense. And 
if you look at what you spend on a, on a big fancy um, beer and food pairing dinner, um, sometimes that dollar amount would be matched um, for that ticket price. And so, you know, with food being available and then the educational salons and the speakers we have, we, we feel it's justifiable and um, hopefully everybody that walks out of there feels it, it was worth it. Okay. I mean, I can just, there's, there's so many good foods. I'm looking at the list here. There's just so <laughs> many just, you know, awesome beers combined with awesome food. And I, I just can't wait. <laughs> you know, I might have to get a second. I was trying to figure out recording, right? And we're going to be recording all the salons uh, for, you know, the saver. So for our listeners. And, you know, we're going to let the Brewers Association use that information as well. But I'm like, I might have to get a second recording kit now that I know that all the brewers are going to be at their tables. Yeah. You know, I might have to do some interviews also. So you got me thinking, Julia. Thanks for giving me that. I learned something on my own show. <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah, wanting to be in two places at once is a good feeling sometimes. Yep, absolutely. It's a good thing we have two people. Uh, Julia, you ready to go on to the Dale's Pale Ale? Absolutely, and now you're talking to my backyard brewery. <laughs> yep, All yep. the breweries in the country, Oscar Blues is my backyard brewery that I'm at maybe once every other week at least, if not okay. every week. I was there once, <laughs> last October. I stopped, uh, went on a bit of tour before the Great American Beer Fest, and uh, Oscar Blues was one of the stops. We can get uh, Oscar Blues here in Pittsburgh, and I really like them. They're a can brewery. All their stuff is in cans, which is really, a, you know, I know there, there's, we've talked about this before on the show, but there is kind of a stigma against cans, not with this brewery, and not, not today. Cans are really a great method of transporting beer, but... Uh, Dale's Pale Ale is in a can. That's what we're tasting. I have some uh, Old Chubb at home that they're Scottish Ale. Uh, and also we're going to have 1050, which is also in a can. Yeah, if we can get all the way through six beers, we'll have 1050 tonight. <laughs> or Otherwise, it might be a next time beer. We're not sure yet. Yeah, and then the other one that um, uh, Greg did mention just won a World Beer Cup medal, the bronze medal um, uh, for Gordon's. Yeah, Gord- Gordon's their double IPA. Double IPA. Yep. Yeah, and that's, I mean, for a little little brewery that's getting bigger all the time, like Dale's, they were just jumping up and down in San Diego <laughs> at the award ceremony. They were really psyched. And so Dale's um, Pale Ale has become such bread and butter for uh, Oscar Blues that they've opened a facility now in Longmont, Colorado. So what's exciting that's probably going to come out of um, Oscars is that they're going to produce Dale's Pale Ale in larger quantities out of their new Longmont facility and now they'll get to do some more experimentation at the local brew pub in Lyons, which will be really fun because they've been so strapped for production just to get Dale's out the door because there's such demand that I don't think we've seen everything we can see from this brewery, and, and we're going to see a lot more things. And they've got really good repertoire of brewers these days for sure. Well, that's cool. Yeah, definitely uh, being able to uh, free up some production to, bre- to experiment. That's, yeah. that's exciting, especially that's the- for beer geeks that listen to the show. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's funny to think of, you know, you can kind of imagine a pale in a can, but to me, the idea of an imperial stout in a can is still something, you know, that I haven't tried yet. And I'm, I'm really excited about getting a chance to Absolutely. The, um, the aroma so, on this one is, is like a, a much stronger, kind of mustier hop. Do you notice that? Yeah, it's dampened. It's not citrusy at all compared to compared to the doggy style. Yeah, and, and the, uh, the malt is in the aromas a bit. The hops are a little higher balance than the yeah. malt is the malt's not quite as sweet it's it's more um is it more bready yeah, i'm not sure what word to put to the malt there i'm having I'm mostly just getting hops from the aroma okay and this one pours lighter than the doggy style this one pours uh it's brown but it's almost golden it's just a little bit darker than golden mm-hmm. i would say very clear has a nice uh foamy head on it it's a very soft head yeah to me this is 
the classic example why Dale's has gotten so well known. I mean, the the mall there's there is no dry finish going on here to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, my mouth dries out a little bit, and I think that's from the hops. But but the finish just lingers with that that malty sweetness, which is I just think is so so good. Okay, yeah, it, I would say you know this one's a lot more American mm-hmm. uh, feel than the doggy style, even though it's an American brewery. It felt more English than this one does, um, with a more Hot forward presence, yeah, I would yeah. say. You know, I mean, obviously the malt is there, and the malt is really giving it a backbone. Uh, and and like you say, there's there's a sweetness that that helps that hop come along. But there is a, a strong. I mean, the very first thing you taste on this is the hop, and the hop is a very strong, mm-hmm. like we said, kind of a mustier. Not in it. If if the flying dog was like you know eating a grapefruit, this is a lot more like. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I have now any... Now I'm confused. Kissing a dog? I never... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I had a good descriptor of what it tastes like, so I was, I was waiting to see what you had to come up with. When Julie was describing the beer and how she said it was, her mouth was dry from the hops, there's some sweetness. From my sip, I was you know tasting this dry hoppiness, and then right as she was finishing up, I got this little punch of biscuity or something like that. It, just this little quick jab of malt that came back through it. It was yeah. like, hey, that's neat. Or croissant-like. Yeah, actually, that buttery croissant, something like that, yeah. Yeah, that kind of creamy sweetness almost comes back at the end. It's probably been about two years since Oscar Blues has been available in Pittsburgh. And I knew they canned, and the wholesaler told me they were available. So I was like, oh, I can't wait to try canned craft beer. And Greg and I were at a uh, bottle shop called D Six Packs and Dogs. It's the biggest place here in Pittsburgh. They have almost a thousand beers, a thousand different beers at the place. It's insane. We're looking through the beers, and I did not see Dale's Pale Ale and Old Chubb because of my can bias. My subconscious completely filtered him out of my vision, and yeah. Greg caught it. So we tried it, and you know, we've been a big fan ever since. But I was looking, you know, I wanted to taste Dale's Pale Ale in a can, but for some reason, my subconscious filtered out cans from my view because I was so used to, you know, crappy beer coming in cans. It's a great looking can too. I've seen it go through the evolution. Um, their uh, one of their original brewers that basically started Dale's Pale Ale was Brian Lutz, formerly of Redfish. And um, the can used to be a lot different, a lot busier. It just really speaks American, you know. It's the red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think that they're after guys like you to, to challenge you to think a little different. And I've seen Dale speak, um, Dale Katechis, who owns Oscar Blues, and he's a burger flipper. He proclaims he's a restaurant guy. Mm-hmm. And when they got the facts about get, doing um, canned beer, they just laughed in the office and thought it would be great. And they they went for it. And now at the Brewers Association, we have a conservative estimate that there's probably at least 25,000 barrels worth of beer in 2007 that was canned. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, people first laugh at, you know, a 12-ounce can. And I'm sure the people up at... Um uh, Surly Brewing Company are like, wouldn't it be funny if we put ours in pounder cans? Because, you know, only the really crappy beer comes in pounder cans. <laughs> and, oh, they yeah, started, and they started putting craft beer in pounder cans. So you, know, you can tell there's people having fun with the concept there as well. Is that what we call in Maryland? Because that's where I'm from, Tallboy? Is a pounder can? Yeah, yeah. 16, yeah. O- you know, we call them pounders here in uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, 16 ounce cans, 16 ounces is a pound. So we call 16 ounce bottles and cans <laughs> pounders. I wasn't of drinking age for most of my time in Maryland, so I don't really know the, the slang. <laughs> I only know the Pittsburgh slang. Um, so this beer, too, is 6.5%, the Dale's Pale Ale, and I catch in that I think the Doggy Styles and the Fives. So, I mean, I think that some of that, that weight 
is is from the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it does feel a little bit thicker on the mouth because yeah. it's a little bit fuller. Yeah, it certainly is tasty. I'm really enjoying this beer. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a saver question, Julia, about this because you mentioned this lottery that you had for beers. You had too many companies, too many beer companies saying that they want in, and you had to make a lottery. Maybe you can't answer this question, but were there were there any that you were like, well, we're going to let you in anyway? No, we were fair across the board. We actually had a spreadsheet that um, our uh, IT manager set up a formula. I don't know. I haven't seen the formula or know how that Excel spreadsheet physically worked, but it was a lottery through that spreadsheet. And uh, we wanted to be fair. Man, the board. IT manager for the Brewers Association. <laughs> nice. I'm going to send him my resume. Just to put it on hold. But oh, I mean, yeah. he, Tim Sloan, great guy. <laughs> great. I think he definitely listened to you guys. He's a home brewer. He's. I mean, people that work here really believe, and um, most of them are home brewers. Right. Some of the ladies um, that have, are new, we're getting them into home brewing, and it, it is an amazing place to work. So there was no one saying, oh, we got to get uh, Boston Beer because they're huge. And there was no one saying, we got to get Tommy Arthur because I really want to have Lost Abbey. We want to talk a little bit about what the what are in the salons, maybe? You know, try yeah. to whet people's appetites. If you want to go over a couple of the salons here. Definitely. And at um, savercraftbeer.com is a schedule. And there's also a complete overview of the speaker bios. So on Friday night, May 16th, um, we kind of kick it off with, we think, the home run speaker, Garrett Oliver, from Brooklyn Brewery, talking what he does best, which is beer and cheese together. And that's just, I mean, Garrett wrote the Brewmaster's Table, amazing reference for me and my job, and so many people. I mean, I think when that book came on the scene, it really elevated beer and food to a whole new level just by virtue of that book. And um, Garrett's given over, he's, he's, I think he said he's given over 500 beer dinners where he's not just sitting in the audience, he's leading these beer dinners. <laughs> but think about that in terms of knowledge. I mean, he's probably the most renowned um, beer and food uh, person out there, and so he's leading it all off first and foremost on Friday night. And then we're real excited about the second get, because one of my charges is I want to get uh, craft beer um, on the radar of people that I think are potentially open to it but might not know it. So we got more of a mainstream speaker, Dave Lieberman, who is um, from uh, Food Network. He's involved with Here's to Beer, and uh, he's uh, you know got his own shows. Uh, good deal with Dave Lieberman, and now he's got something new on Yahoo, which I haven't checked out, but it's a food series in search of real food. And so he's just doing amazing things, and he's a young guy. Dave Lieberman seems really funny when I've seen him um, on TV, and so he's going to be talking about just something really down-to-earth, you know, beer and uh, dips. Because if you think about it, beer and dips are just kind of two peas in a pod. Uh Um, And then Saturday day, the daytime session, is, uh, I think, a great talk. You guys just um, brought up Boston Beer. We have Jim Cook, who is talking with Randy Moser, who actually organized the salon, and uh, if you don't, do you guys know Randy Moser at all? I haven't met him, but we know he's uh, the guy who wrote Extreme Brewing, or Radical Brewing, I'm sorry. Yeah, Radical. He calls it, he just says Radical, Radical, wouldn't talk to him. He always refers to Radical this, Radical <laughs> that. He definitely, I mean, he writes for all about beer, many beer publications, authored many beer books. He's got a new beer book coming out um, that he'll announce, but it's just uh, something I think we're all should be looking forward to on um, beer and food. And so Randy was the perfect person to kind of put this together. And what we wanted from him was to get one of the largest craft brewers and one of the smallest and, and have them all talk together about beer and food and how they approach it. Okay. So um, J- 
Jim Cook's Boston Beer, as I mentioned, and then Rick Martin, um, who's the executive chef. So we have another chef talking with Free State Brewing. Um, and Rick, I finally got to see at the Craft Brewers Conference in action. He gave a talk at the Craft Brewers Conference on beer and food with Chuck Skypeck of Bosco's, Garrett Oliver, Brooklyn Brewery, Lucy Saunders, um, and then Rick. And they, I think, really brought down the house with the knowledge that they shared. That's going to be a great one. And then the last salon on Saturday, or sorry, the last series of salons on Saturday night during the Saturday evening session. Oh, I skipped one. And then we have huge <laughs> local um, interest. In Actually, this. we could get to those uh, after the next beer. Great. We'll break I it up a little to bit. Stop talking and drink a little. <laughs> That's good. Uh, one thing I wanted to say is I think I'm going to. Um, you know, even though I'd love to cover the um, the Garrett Oliver beer and cheese, I think I'm gonna have to let Greg experience since I've already experienced Maybe. the uh, the beer the beer and cheese talk. And I have do have a suggestion for you, and make sure you uh, come up with a better cheese distribution plan than you had yeah. for the Great American Beer Fest because that was that was really a nightmare. It took forever to get the cheeses out. I know I was in that too, and I I, I was a little disappointed in how it rolled out. I yeah, we're in world class catering hands. Okay, yeah, that'll help. So to wet people's appetites, though, these are like you know, kind of like interesting lectures and stuff to go to where you get to drink beer too, and it's not right. You're eating too. I mean, every salon has beer and food, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Okay, so now we're gonna do the uh, Samurai Ale from Great Divide Brewing Company. This is an interesting beer because it is brewed with rice and barley. And uh, it's it's a nice light summer ale. Uh, they call this an American blonde ale. Five point one percent alcohol by volume. Yeah, you just pour it and it looks refreshing. It has that uh, yellowish color. How would you put that? Golden uh, straw it, straw it, color. It's more straw than golden. Yeah, it's more towards the straw color. So it's very cl- well. Now we got some yeast in there. Oops, sorry about that. That's all right. It was clear. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine's a little slightly cloudy too because uh, must be some yeast in the bottom of the bottle. It certainly is. It that is a uh, live beer. Yep. Ooh, this is. Uh, hmm. The notches on the side of my label says this was bottled the first week of September. That's. Let me see what mine says. That's a bit old. Yeah, mine's April, but I had to travel left to get mine. <laughs> <laughs> so right. hopefully ours is still. Fresh enough to taste good. It smells okay. There's there's a bit of kind of spicy floral hop there, a little bit of a potpourri smell uh, on top of kind of a, a faint, I don't know, malty, somewhat bready, very faint though. Yeah, I'm I'm getting a, a very slight um, spicy hop, like a, a continental hop, like Hallertau or something like right. that. Did you guys remember? I think that you all got one of those hop kits. From the gentleman that's... Um, oh, uh, tasteyourbeer.com, yeah. Did that help your um, recognition level? Because, I mean, you guys are good. If you're pick- When you pick out hops and say it like that... Well, we're not that good. Well, we could, you know... Basically, we're like, okay, like for that example, I, I got a spiciness. So I'm thinking, you know, continental hop. So I picked the 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 flagship of continental hops, <laughs> you know, like Hallertau. Or, you know, I could have said Zotz too. But um, to be honest, you know, I... Don't I can't you can't distinguish I can't name that hop in two ta- two sniffs. I mean, we could tell Cascade from the flying dog because Cascade has that strong grapefruity, and that was very very clear. Right, that's about the only one I can really <laughs> mm-hmm. bot on get. We have an idea about Simcoe, right? 
we have an idea about that and uh, what was the, the warrior hops. We kind of know if it's going in that direction. Yeah, I mean, for basic families, and then we'll like we'll group in you know some of the flagship examples. Like if we're talking about warrior, we'll say you know maybe warrior tomahawk amarillo. You know, we'll kind of say something out of that family. Those those high alpha harsh hops, things like that. So yeah, I just took a sip of this, and I think you can detect oldness in this. It it actually tastes a bit lagery to me, but it's it's still refreshing. It, it's very clean. It has um. There might be a slight bit of oxidation here. We're getting very sensitive to that lately. Uh, but there is there's that you know like like you said you know a spicy hop, mm-hmm. and uh, in terms of the the character of the malt it's 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 a, it's a bit of a sweetness but it's not too much sweetness it's really more there for body you know maybe if if I was blind I'm not sure I'd pick out the rice in here but knowing that this brewed with rice that nice light body there's that little bit of sweetness it's reminiscent of some sake in there it's 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 just a nice light combination of the beers of the the ingredients in the beer Julie yeah, yours I think is- this is a great um, beer to try especially to give you that sense of what rice really tastes like compared to corn mhm and it it it's got that rice twang in a good way. Right. Um, and they do list it as their the first beer that they list, and um, they're not listing alphabetically, so I'm assuming they make this as their light, easy-drinking beer, mm-hmm. even though it's 5.1%. Yeah, you know, like I was looking at the beers that Great Divide made because I, I know they're widely available here and there, and when I was trying to line up a pale ale show, they really don't make a pale ale. So I had discounted, you know, Great Divide in the first list I sent you. And then when I found out I couldn't put together a pale ale show, I'm like, well, let's do Samurai, a rice beer, because it's a rice beer. It's interesting, you know, they use that, that image of Japan because it uses rice, I suppose. Have you tried, Julie, uh, Hitachino uh, Red Rice Ale? No. That was that was something else. That, that to me, uh, I got it in Japan, but I think you can get it in California and maybe in Denver if you look hard enough. Uh, can you smell it? It's a Japanese brewery. It's um, Hitachino Nest. Um, H-I-T-A-C-H-I-N-O, I think. Uh, it, it's called Red Rice Ale, though. You can probably find it that way. And uh, it's got this... I don't know if you're, if you're into sake, but it's got this really uh, interesting sake combined with beer flavor. It's really good. I love when beer does that. I mean, and that's... It, it doesn't all just have to be ales, even though that's what I always naturally will gravitate to. Yeah, I bet I'd love it just to kind of see the highlight of difference. And it's what, fermented rice that's red? Yeah, I think there might be some barley in it, too. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's 100% rice. I think there's some barley in it. But uh, from remembering the taste, it, it was a lot different than this beer. I think it was a lot higher percentage of rice than what, yeah. uh, than what uh, Great Divide came up with. They're a small craft brewery in Japan, so if you guys represented Japanese beers as well, they'd be on your list as opposed to the other list. They could be members. We definitely have international members. Oh, okay. Networking opportunities. I mean, one sideline is it was so amazing to be at the World Beer Cup and Craft Brewers Conference last week, or I guess a little over a week ago now, because, I mean, 70% of the judges were from overseas. Okay. And so the international representation at that 2,900 beer competition is incredible. And just the feeling of watching these brewers talk and how kind of the American brewers now are influencing, you know, new world influences old world for once. And right. it, it, was, it was really, really neat. You know, I got to compliment this samurai, even though it's a little bit old. 
it's really, really drinkable. It's, yeah. It's very, it goes down really easy and it makes you just, you know, it, it makes you thirst for more. It's, it's got great quality, a great drinkable quality to it. You know, like some people say lawnmower beer. And to me, that's almost a, I don't care what I'm drinking, just give me something cold. Um, I wouldn't go that far, but I would say for summertime, like you're going to, you know, you sit down on the deck or something. I, I could see this as being, you know, beer you buy a case of to last you through the summer. Well, since we're talking about food, what kind of food do you think this would go with? Oh, I'm not sure I have anything. What do you have in mind? Because I'm not sure I have anything really good in mind on this one. Julia, any thoughts? I have their website up. So, <laughs> I mean, they have suggested food pairings. And I'll just mention that this is unfiltered. So that's what I love. I mean, they didn't strip that little extra flavor that we're, that we're getting that probably if they had kind of filtered it or stripped it, 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 it just wouldn't be where it is. So I appreciate the body that it has for sure. They say seared tuna encrusted with sesame seeds, which I absolutely can see. Okay, yeah. Lo mein, I mean, that completely makes sense. Uh-huh. Um, the cheese that they say is Humboldt Fog, a soft goat's milk cheese from California. Actually, I've had Humboldt Fog out at the Great American Beer Fest. It's a very pungent uh, blue-type cheese. I guess it would work. I, I would think so. You know, it seems like this is very. I would go with subtle. a creamy. You think like more this, like a, a, a creme fraiche or something? No, not creme fraiche. A, a triple creme or yeah. something. With I mean, this just seems like it's very. Um, well, it is a triple creme, but it's you know, there's a lot of blue in it. Oh, okay. Um, but this seems such a diminutive, light flavor to it that you know the humble frog would well, just stomp I, all I, over I, it. Well, I, I would disagree with you. It's not really diminutive slightly. I think that there, there's a good amount of flavor on there. It's kind of hidden by you know, by the the mouthfeel and uh, how drinkable it is, but I'm, I'm definitely keeping the, the the remainder of the taste in my mouth. I still taste that mm-hmm. the, the, the bit of hoppiness, the spicy hoppiness there. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. And and actually pointing out the bottle condition again, Julia, is probably why our beer that was bottled way back in September um, is still drinkable for us. Because if it was filtered, it probably would have started staling by now. Yeah, yeah, I like, that's a good move on their part. I think it'd go really nice with just a mild fish. With a little bit of butter on it, you know, not a pungent fish, but just a kind of mild white fish. Maybe like a flounder. Yeah, I think it would, it would be very good at replacing any time you think, you know, uh, a Sapporo or yeah. a Sahi yeah. would go in, right? So you sushi, yeah, throw in a samurai, you know, anywhere you think, you know, a Sapporo would taste good, you know, this would taste better. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I think you just nailed it there. Yeah, it's definitely true that, you know, the, the, those lighter beers do taste great with sushi. I think a stronger beer kind of covers up some of the extra flavor you get from it, so. Mm-hmm. And the head on that is just like everlasting. It's yeah, 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 definitely. It was it's nice still head sticking on it. to, to our glass. Yeah, Julie, Julie actually has more beer to go through than we do since we're splitting bottles and she's by herself there. She has, she's going to be wasted. <laughs> or no, she's, I'm, a, I'm a highly attuned machine. <laughs> <laughs> a professional drinker. Okay, Julie, if you want to um, talk about the other um, salons now, we can go back. You left off with the um, did you Jim Cook, um, Rick Martin's one. Oh, yeah. And then so the second salon on Saturday afternoon, which we're definitely getting great interest and in, um Hugh Sishin from Clipper City, and they also have the Heavy Sea lines of beers, is doing this really great um, how to enhance the bounty of the Chesapeake Bay with your favorite beers. And oh, it just nice. sounds super fun. They're getting a local seafood company to work on the menu with them. So okay. the food is, is really, I think, 
going to be presented in this is the pride that Maryland can bring to Saver. Yeah, I mean, that that's I'm sorry, that's really cool how, you know, a local brewery to the DC area is really investing their beers, the local seafood and, you know, in a nation, national stage. So that's very cool. Yeah, yeah, big deal. Um, and they're putting their best foot forward. I'll read you the menu real quick because we just got it today. So Springfield Farm coffee and cocoa-dusted duck breast paired with the Peg Leg Imperial Stout. Oh, man. I know. Pea jumbo lump crab and avocado timbale. I have no idea what a timbale is, so forgive me. Um, and I'll have to find that out. The beer pairing with the lump crab is Oxford Raspberry R. Okay. And that actually, I think, probably works really well. And then the pan-seared rockfish with crab, king crab spuds paired with loose cannon hop sale. Okay. Yeah, good stuff. That That's very cool. Um, wow, the, the, the coffee-encrusted duck with peg leg. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> fantastic. That does sound like a beautiful thing. Saturday evening, kind of the grand finale. And again, if you're thinking any of your downloaders are thinking about, is that the right term? Oh, we call them listeners. Listeners, okay. Um, want to be respectful with the right term. So any of your listeners are thinking about going to Savor, the only difference between each um, session, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday again, are the salons. So the tasting in the Great Hall will be um, the same format for each session there. So it, it's kind of based on what salons you want to try and jump into. So Saturday night grand finale, we have, and this is my personal one that I advocated to get on the slate, thus um, I'm, I'm very excited about it. It's called Cross Drinking Without Social Stigma. And I just think it's, it talks of, of so much fun and good humor and gets the wine guys really, you know, pokes a little fun at the wine guys in a good way and also gives them kudos because many of the um, – the wine media, and also people um, that just, you know, are wine appreciators are also admittedly, you know, lovers of craft beer. And so we tapped some of the top, we think, um, journalists out there who are talking about um, beer these days, even though their professions are revolving around coverage of wine. So we got Lauren Buzo, who's a kind of an up-and-comer. Um, she's the assistant tasting director at the Wine Enthusiast magazine. So, gotta love it. I mean, that wine enthusiasts let her do this. Mm -hmm. You know, we would, maybe it's a career risk, you don't know. <laughs> um, but we think that it's really smart of them to help allow her to get out there. She knows her beers. I tasted at her personal, with, with her personally at the Great American Beer Festival for um, the better part of an hour. And she's just really knowledgeable and interested in helping, I think, the wine enthusiasts. Build, build their own beer knowledge as a publication. Mm -hmm. And we also got Ray Isle, the senior editor at Food and Wine Magazine. Huge get to get to him, to have him come and talk about beer and food. And then a friend of beer, Ken Wells, um, but he is now at a pretty prestigious uh, publication, Condé Nast Portfolio. He also wrote Travels with Barley. And then I'm moderating this um, and put together the content. And this whole salon is based on what we did. Have you guys heard of the Big Beer Festival in Vail, Colorado? Actually, I have not. Oh, it's a great one. No beers under 8% alcohol. Oh, my God. So great. And it's in Vail, so everybody's at altitude. You can imagine the good time that we all have. I went to a similar thing. I went to in Boston. They had the Extreme Beer Fest. Beer Advocate ran yeah. that, and that. Yeah, that was a similar type of situation. I'd love to get out to the Extreme Beer Fest. The Beer Advocate guys are amazing, and that must have been a blast. But so this, um, the Big Beers uh, talk that I did that, the, that turned into the model for the cross-drinker, um, salon 
in a nutshell was I had the best brewers to work with at Big Beers. I got Sam Calzioni of Dogfish Head, Adam Avery of Avery Brewing Company, Peter Buchard of New Belgium Brewing Company, and Will of Cambridge Brewing Company. You guys probably know about Cambridge, who's making amazing stuff. And um, then we also had two importer representatives, Sean of Paragon Beverages, uh, and then um, Jay Baum of Baum Imports, and they represented some major, you know, great imported brands. And then they each had to, it was a challenge. So I played like the Rocky music, and we all introduced them as contenders, and they all like have to present to the audience in a blind tasting fashion their, fav- their best example of a beer that they personally chose that would pair with the food that I served. So okay. oh. in advance, the, they were only told the food. This is the same thing for the cross-drinker journalists. And they have to, behind the scenes, pick their beer. And then when the audience is served this, the audience won't be told what beer it is. So it's fun because all the beer geeks out there can kind of play guess that brand. And if you're not a beer geek, you maybe want to aspire to being a beer geek because it's fun when you nail that brand, you know, blind. It's really cool. And so then we will see which of the three um, cross-drinking journalists will uh, be dubbed um, – to have had the best pairing of the day, and it's a great format, great, great format. Okay, a little contest. Yeah. Yeah, bl- and then the last one is the the granddaddy of them all. He said beer, she said wine, a debate on food and wine, um, and which goes better with food. And that's Sam Calzioni of Dogfish Head and Marnie Old, who is the uh, dean of the French Culinary Institute in Manhattan, and they're touring literally right now um, with the book that uh, is called He Said Beer, She Said Wine. And it really is, I think, a lightning rod for what's going on right now because there's just lots of talk out there of um, you know, craft beers doing so well in the flavor department and offering and lending so many great things to what, what, when people serve it with food and there's so much to think about and taste that it's, it's really starting to give wine a little bit of a, a run for its money. And so it's a really fun topic. And that will put a conclusion to the entire savor event at that last salon. All right, great. The um, the blind tasting sounds very interesting. You ready to move on to the Brecken, Breckenridge Agave Wheat? Yes, which is the only beer of all the ones this evening that I've never had, so I'm excited about this. Yeah, this one was just released. I saw a press release just last week that this one was out, I think. Or no, actually it was a it was an email from the local bottle shop that they just got it in. So maybe it's available in Denver for longer, I don't know. Now, agave is a type of cactus. Yes, it is. And... It's used for, I think, um, mezcal, right? Isn't that the the drink that's made out of it? Tequila, agave tequila. Right. But um, mezcal might be that high-end version of it, really concentrated. All I know is that agave nectar is pretty pretty popular out here. Have you guys tried the nectar? No, no, we haven't had any agave nectar. It's even used as a honey replacement um, on restaurant tables sometimes now because it's more economical. And I, being a big mead lover... Um, have recently fermented with it in place of honey, and I have a test batch going right now where the only difference in variable for that test batch is that I use six pounds of agave nectar compared to six pounds of wildflower honey. Gotcha. I was actually just going to say, when you said, you know, it's being used for honey, I'm like, oh, so Redstone's playing with it or something I was going to suspect, but no, you're playing with it. Okay. The um, the so, label is is pretty fun. It has a, a skeleton like a Day of the Dead type guy with uh, wheat husks in his mouth. <laughs> It's a fun label from Breckenridge. Definitely sweetness on the aroma. Yeah, I mean, first, you know, it reminds me of uh, an American wheat, like uh, Bell's Oberon, but there's a little bit something there to it. This this little sweetness, this little, um, 
Yeah, almost like a honey type hint to it or something like that. It's not you say? quite honey. It, it it's kind of it, Well, it's not honey, it's agave, but <laughs> Right. It's it's hitting me more you know sort of I guess less fruity than honey. Yeah, the uh, the beer pours uh typical wheat beer. It's a nice straw colored. It's slightly cloudy. I wasn't sure if this was a swirl up and put all the yeast in the beer or not cuz uh you know, American wheats could go either way. So I I kind of did middle half of the road. Half, right. Yeah, I did middle of the road. I, I didn't keep the yeast out, but I didn't pour it all in. It does really smell a sweetness of kind of a different sugar compound than what, you know, wheat's going to give you. Mm-hmm. That's the agave. It's really, I mean, it, it pours not as thick as honey, and uh, it's sometimes, well, I can't say a little darker because that's so generalizing honey. Right. It, it's a really enjoyable fermentable. It, I highly recommend um, using it. And, and also, too, on the wheat part of this beer, I mean, again, back to look at that head and look at those bubbles. Those bubbles, that's an active beer. Yeah, yeah. The um, the flavor, there's this. There's definitely this this flavor hump in the center of yeah, this it's, bar. It's that's, weird. I think to me, I was trying to, to figure out how the flavor works, and here's what I came up with. You're hit with kind of a sour tangerine at first, or tart tangerine, then it kind of goes to, um, you know, more sweet, and then it ends on the best way I can describe it is almost like popcorn. So diacetyl, perhaps? Is it no, buttery? it's not it's buttery like, popcorn. No? It, it, oh, it's, regular it's just, popcorn. You, know, you eat some popcorn, and you get that kind of dry and and flavor in your mouth. Okay, so like unsalted, unbuttered popcorn, right? right. Yeah, there's. Oh, I'm having a hard time. There's this. There's this. This sweet. Uh, I would say malty, or, but I know it's from the. <laughs> I mean, it's a wheat beer. So the other thing I'm thinking is, if if you eat, it, the, you ever had the puff wheat cereal? Mm-hmm. It's a lot like that. A lot like that. You know, the leftover wheat husk kind of flavor. That's a good description. I can definitely see that. They have they have the um, the grain bill. I can read that if you guys want. No, oh, sure, go for it. Um, so it's pale. White wheat, torrified wheat, which I've never heard of. Do you guys know what that is? Yeah, I've heard of it. Um, I'd actually have to do some research to figure out what torrefication means. Actually, Greg's on it right now. He's frantically Googling. Um, Carapils, Carmel, and Munich. Oh, wow. wow. So there's a complex grain bill to that. I know. They went to some great lengths. And then the hop, um, uh, the, the hop additions, they don't say when, but Fuggle, Cascade, and Willamette. Okay. Is that Willamette? And I've always heard it as Willamette, but it's, the full word is Willamette. I've never seen Willamette. Um, you have no, some of our, you have some emails from some listeners if you call it Willamette. Uh, in Oregon, the valley is called Willamette, actually. Oh, you are correct, yes. actually. So, so I'm just protecting you so you don't get emails from some crazy craft beer listener saying you pronounced Willamette wrong. No, you're, you <laughs> be rest assured. When I've actually thought of the valley, my brain did it right. So mm. that, is, that is good to know, though. And then it's 4.2% alcohol by volume. I'm enjoying this beer. I am a too. Lot. I There's, am too. I'm having a hard time quantifying that. That, tan, that it's almost like an intangible that agave gives, only because I can't figure out words to describe it. Well, it softens. I don't know if it's the agave, but it's 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 like compared to the samurai, it's it's less bubbly. It dances off the tongue a little bit less, and it's a softer. Yeah, here's something that hit me. 
a combination of not so much flavor but more mouthfeel, mango. Anyone getting any kind of like mangoish, like mostly that creamy, smooth, slick mouthfeel that mango gives you, and a little, in, in the just, texture, in yeah, the texture, a little bit, a of hint that. of the flavor. I, I, but I can, I can see what you're getting at there. Yeah. If you want to know what torrified wheat is, by the way, I got it here. It's unmodified wheat that has been quote unquote popped to open the kernels. Used oh, okay. Pi- used primarily in place of raw wheat when making Belgian white and wit faster conversion, higher yield than raw wheat. However, it must rest. A rest is recommended when mashing. So, there's your information from. Awesome. Yeah. No. I. I. Wow. I'm. I'm liking this beer. It's. Um. It's has this. You know. I, one thing that I noticed with with honey beers is that they you kind of get a, an over over sweetness sometimes, mm-hmm. and that's not happening here. Yeah. No way. Yeah, I could, you know, a lot of beers it seems like the honey ferments out too thin. You get this high alcohol, very thin, sugary, sweet taste or something. That's kind of oxymoronic there. But you get this thin, sharp taste to it uh, from a honey beer. And this one's almost still a has, coating. Yeah. Sometimes. Well, and, it also, you know, it's usually over fermented, meaning like the yeast were like, honey, honey, honey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. This has some, some uh, residual sugar left to it, but it's not at all cloying. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. Um, uh, Greg was saying, I think you started out your first comments. You didn't say sour, or maybe you did, but it's like the step before sour. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, you said tart tangerine, and yeah, I agree. At the beginning of the flavor, there's there's this like little sharp downturn in the flavor. It's, where it's, it's not quite sour, but it's close. And, and, and it's not a sour beer, you right. know, like, like sometimes we have like the, you know, the Flanders Reds or whatever we have. It's, it's hardly sour. It's, it's just a little bit different take on, you know, what wheat gives you. The, uh, I'm trying to like dig in there and pick out like the Munich and the Carapils that, you know, probably makes up a small part of the grain bill. And I probably think it's probably just that undertone that's helping out that flavor in the center there that it's giving you a little bit of, maltiness in there, you know, that's just kind of bumping up the the flavor that I think the agave is giving it. It gives the weed some backbone, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the agave does. Mm-hmm. I really do like wheat beers, and I think this is a very good example of, you know, playing around with wheat beer, but also, uh, but, but but still keeping, you know, the, the, the wheat part of it intact. I really do enjoy this one a lot. Do you want to fin- finish up? You mean do another? Do a last, do a final beer? What yeah, do you think, can- Julia? Aren't we doing two more? Well, we can if you want. Absolutely. I'm done working. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So the next beer is the uh, Hazed and Infused from Boulder Beer Company, Dry Hop Dale. So this is um, right across the street from where you used to work at Redstone Meadery, right? Yeah, absolutely. I could ride my bike. We had many a lunch there. Um, if anybody hasn't, when, or, when you're in Colorado, you should kind of try and make a visit. This is the oldest microbrewery in Colorado. And it originally started in a goat shed. They have a goat shed party every year, by the way. <laughs> um, I think the claim to fame for that party, for me at least, was I was standing there one time at their goat shed party two years ago, and it was typical Boulder, Colorado. A group of 25 people naked on bicycles rode through the party. <laughs> and they were, like, on their way somewhere to protest. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It had nothing to do with the party, which was funny. But, I mean, <laughs> Just, you know, beer after beer that is award-winning and, and solid and good, and um, they are really, I think, doing amazing things. One of my favorites from them, um, besides the Haze, is their Mojo, and then there's now a new one called Mojo Ryzen. 
Right, yeah. It shows the Colorado brewers can pack a lot of hops in and be proud, and it's a, it's a good one. How is the, uh, you know, speaking of hops, we all have seen the stuff about the hop shortage. Has, I mean, maybe you can give sort of a firsthand or at least maybe secondhand uh, uh, experience about how hop shortage has affected the craft beer industry. Yeah, great question, very timely question. We have been fielding this topic since October. Um, Paul Gatz, our director, you know, is going to be on um, – MSNBC interview this week over this. I was on, uh, you know, Squawk Box, CNBC Squawk Box on this topic. Like, people are really wanting to know, and the media has kind of grabbed a hold of it. We um, saw some recent data, too, and frankly, craft beer sales have only slightly increased, and I think it's on par for what we would have said maybe a, a year ago if we'd have looked um, to the future and said, what do we think might happen? Because of the growth of craft beer and inflation, you know, mm-hmm. we probably would have said the numbers that we saw, at least for the scan data, data that um, Morgan Stanley sent over. And so, you know, in this year's time, I believe in uh, mostly supermarkets, um, only 0.2% um, is what uh, we've seen for price increase on beer. So to me, that says that price increases are not across the board. I mean, and individual brewers are definitely dealing with it in different ways. And when I say it, what we're talking about here is um, the cost of raw material increase, not just hops, which are upwards of 400% increased in cost, if you can get those, because it's also a supply issue right now. But malt is upwards of 100% increased right now. You've got glass, which is hard to obtain lately, and also through the roof and pricing. You've got transportation costs, which is affecting every industry across mm-hmm. the board. So there really are a lot of things hitting the craft brewers right now. Mostly um, uh, the craft brewers are more affected than the larger brewers um, in, um, in a stronger way because they, they make fuller flavored beer. So if you're going to make beer with more flavor, you've got to use more hops and more malt. So that's kind of what we've been trying to get out there is that um, you know craft brewers are, are dealing with something, and any, anybody can try and play the forecasting game, but... It's just not realistic to do that. Right now, everything still looks good, although any brewer you talk to is going to have their story on how they're coping with it. They're using more hops and malt in their individual beers, but in terms of quantity, it's, it's significantly less, though. Well, I wouldn't. I mean, from what I've heard, I, w- I wouldn't really say that. It, it seems that um, you know some brewers cannot get the hops that they normally use in a beer. If you want Czech Zots, from what I've heard, it's, it's non-existent this year. Um, so they're picking uh, an alternate hop. Um, I just brewed um, a, an alt beer, and I needed to find um, – actually, no, the porter. I brewed two beers the other day. Um, the porter that I brewed, I needed um, Northern Brewer hops, and my homebrew store didn't have it. So I substituted Perlay. Um, not a big deal. It's, it's a reasonable substitution, so I'm happy with it. So you'll find a lot of big brewers are doing that. Now, if you have a beer that's a, 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 a signature beer – like say you have the name of the hop in the beer, like uh, Weyerbacher's Double Simcoe IPA, and now that's a bad example because they had enough Simcoe to brew that beer. Um, but you know, then then you, uh, you're kind of a problem because you might have to substitute with something else. Um, you mentioned how different brewers were man- handling the problem in different ways. Um, Weyerbacher is absorbing the cost of the hops this year. It, uh, the Double Simcoe is only about ten percent of their production, so he's able to give his fans the Double IPA from Weyerbacher. And, you know, not have to raise prices this year. So he's actually absorbing the cost of the hops for the double Simcoe. 
There's also that great thing that that uh, Boston Beer did, where they they sort of gave away their hops. Did they, did they lottery that, or did they just find people to buy them? Um, I think it was first come, first serve. They uh, announced it in several places, including the Brewers Association uh, Brewers Forum, which uh, our members uh, all use to communicate with each other. And uh, I think it was over 100 breweries that took advantage of it. And they, what Boston Beer did is gave up at cost, like you're saying, um, their, I, I don't know if you would call it back supply. It was, you know, some stored supply. And it was, I think, a very bold and, and appreciated move and just shows what, uh, what the, the larger craft brewer is all about. Boston Beer gives a tremendous amount, and that was just an amazing gesture. Yeah, I think it was the case where, you know, Boston Beer contracts for so many hops, whether they need it or not, and they have the option of buying them all. And I think this year they said they'll buy them all and pass them on to other brewers instead of giving them to, you know, a, a mega brewer who would be the next in line from the hop, you know, farmer. So okay, that's a good I, I think that's what happened. Um, I just had one more thing to say, but... It fell out of my head. Well, did you want to talk about the beer? Uh, that, about actually, the beer that's yet. that's it. While we're talking about hops, let's talk about the hazed and infused dry hopped ale. What do you smell, Greg? Surprisingly, I smell hops. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, the the hop aroma on this one is um, more grassy, more floral, right. than citrusy. So, uh, you know, like this is a case, you know, where I hesitate to guess a specific brand of hop or you know variety of hop on this one. This is probably a mixture. I'm Actually, you know, I don't have to guess because it's on the side of the label here. I guess it's a mixture. Crystal and Centennial. So Centennial is kind of in the smell now yeah. that I'm thinking of it. And Crystal is not a widely used hop. So I couldn't I couldn't pick Crystal out of a lineup if I had to. Hmm. Interesting. How do the hops come across, do you think? Like you said, grassier. Uh, I'm having trouble coming up with the scripters. Do you have anything, Julia? Definitely a um, matured hop aroma, meaning it's either my beer, I'm trying to look for a date, it's either not absolutely at its freshest or it's just a nice, calm, subdued aroma of kind of a floral, just a hair of citrus, um, a little bit of sweetness. I don't see any coating on this bottle at all. On the label or etched or you know lasered on the glass, so it's a mystery. Um, I mean, comparing this to like that Dale's Pale Ale, it's 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 lighter in body. Mm-hmm. It's back to the closest thing we've had to it tonight. To me, clearly, is the doggy style. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's got a little bit of that um, citrusy note at the end. It, it it's I think a little bit more bitter than the other pale ales too. It's probably a little more bitter. Um, there's malt there. But it doesn't come out with like a crystal malt type sweetness. It it's just a, a malty. Um, actually, I'm getting a flavor like bread crust right now, like white bread crust. I'm getting a lot of flavor like the bread crust, and uh, it's yes. just a it's just a backbone there, or like French the bread crust. Even I'm getting more like white bread crust, like Wonder Bread. Not so much Wonder <laughs> Bread, but you know, name your generic white bread. If you just eat the crust, I I really got a strong flavor of that kind of flavor out of this. Well, I already did name my generic. Yeah, but Wonder Bread has such a negative connotation right. that people like use that as the crappiest bread you could actually imagine. And maybe it's on par with Schwabel's white bread or you know something else. I don't know. Schwabel's just a local company. I'm not sure how national, how widely. Distributed I don't think they are. that's widely distributed. I think yeah. you're talking to Pittsburghers. Yeah. Okay. One. So, you know, stuff like that. 
I guess Wonder Bread would be a good example then. Any uh, comments on the flavor, Julia? Looks easy to drink. It is easy to drink. It's a little bit lighter uh, in uh, texture than the other beers. I think the other ones were more full. Well, I, I think you're right, though. This is this is more like the the doggy style than than any of the other ones. This beer is un- unfiltered as well, they say. However, there's like hardly any sediment at the bottom of the bottle, like in the other unfiltered beers. Is there some? I remember there might be a slight bit. So they like they're better yeast management. They don't. They put you know they have just enough in suspension to condition the beer. We had that problem with Dogfish Head, where we noticed that uh, their sixty minute. They said on on the labels they said the continually hop bottle conditioned India Pale Ale. And we were looking at all the bottles, and you're like, we don't see any yeast here. What the heck's going on? How can they possibly be called as a bottle conditioner if there's no yeast there? And later on, they removed bottle conditioner from their labels. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think they, they changed it from bottle condition to super fantastic. They wanted to keep <laughs> That's that. exactly what they did. They took out the, word, the term bottle conditioned, and to fill that space, they put in super fantastic. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's just the right amount of syllables. You know, we talked about this for three weeks on the show, but i got to get your opinion on this, Julie. Have you heard about this California legislator with his uh, t- trying to tax beer like he's trying to tax cigarettes? Um, yes, I have. And are you guys fighting against that? We just heard about, or I personally just heard about it when we were in uh, the Craft Brewers Conference, or at the Craft Brewers Conference in San Diego, and so I am not up to speed on what maybe the Government Affairs Committee is doing, but we're definitely aware of it. And um, Pete Johnson, our Government Affairs guy, is who is who kind of is charged for our, on our part to work behind the scenes on that kind of thing. I mean, you should tell your listeners what it's all about because it is certainly a um, concerning proposal. Yeah, we've talked about it uh, last, like the Greg said, three weeks in a row, where they want like a what is it, a crazy increase it's, in taxes? It's a ridiculous like increase, three hundred percent, something like that, it, and it will cost brewers a huge amount of money. And you know, it's all it, it's all based on the idea, which is absurd, which is that beer is as dangerous as cigarettes. Yeah, it's a tough one to understand. I mean, on record, the Brewers Association has five position statements, and mm-hmm. excise taxes is one of them. Okay. And we're opposed to them. Right. So, uh, Julie, is there anything else you would like to say about SAVER or what the Brewers Association has in the works? Um, I mean, I talked a little bit about American Craft Beer Week. That May 12th to 18th, May 18th time frame, and AmericanCraftBeerWeek.org has a database. And there's close to over, right now, over 100, almost 100 breweries all saying their, uh, their celebrations going on for the week. And last year we had about 150, and we'll probably clock in close to that. And so, you know, any beer lover, that's your chance to kind of put your fist in the air and be proud and say cheers to craft beer and do it with other like-minded people. And it's a big, big week, so celebrations across. The land. Now, was it last year or two years ago? Was the, I'm not even sure if it was the Brewers Association. I think it was. Where you guys were collecting points for like drinking at a brewery or a craft uh, Brewers Association um, bar. Like had a passport or something, and whoever accumulated the most points was that the Brewers Association, or was that separate from the? No, you have a good memory. That's called the Great American Beer Tour. Okay, that's right. Yeah. We weren't able to facilitate that this year, particularly with Saver right around the corner. Okay. 
Um, but that was, we had phenomenal response of over 200 people doing it. Um, our winner got 160 beer points over 160. John came in. He toured the D.C. area, which was a common question. Um, and he really did, I mean, just so much work in one week's time getting to places. And then he won a trip to GABS. Pretty cool. Yeah, so uh, if you're... Uh you know, tune in next year if you've got some vacation to burn and you want to drink a lot of beer. Look out for the Great American Beer Tour next year at the, for Craft Beer Week, and uh, maybe you can win the trip as well. Well, may not live to see another day. No? Oh, no, not next year either? Well, any program that we do is all based on um, what is able to be done in one year's time and we seem to be adding programs and increasing uh, our participation so what you're saying is craft beer is sort of grassroots grassroots effort to bring back the great american beer tour well why you guys could host it <laughs> oh yeah because we have you know, enormous finances to do things like that <laughs> <laughs> all right so i guess it's time to go on to 10 fitty Okay. The uh, probably actually I shouldn't say the world's only because I bet you I bet you um, Surly has Surly has an Imperial Stout in a can too. But this is a ten fifty Imperial Stout from Oscar Blues in a can. Uh, guess the alcohol level. Oh, Just guess ten point five percent maybe on the money. Yes, it's a it's a black ink on a silver can, a cross side, Lions, Colorado. That's right near Julia's house. Yeah, that's the Oscar Blues again. Pours like motor oil is what I like to say. Oh, on the back it says, this dog will hunt. <laughs> so here we go. Crack open the can. The first Imperial Stout that I've ever had in a can. That's right. Now, I've had, I've had 10 Fitty twice. It does look funny coming out of a can. It just does. The main reason I bought this is because I've had 10 Fitty twice. I had it here in Pittsburgh on draft, and it was the most amazing Imperial Stout that I've ever had. And then last October... In Lyons, Colorado, at the brew pub, I, ha- I ordered a 1050. And it was a pale comparison to the 1050 that I had here in Pittsburgh. Why do you think it was a pale comparison? It, it just didn't have the body. It didn't have the, the roasty chocolate flavor. It was not the same beer, in my opinion. So this will be the third time. And we will see if it's the 1050 that I had in Colorado or the 1050 I had in Pittsburgh. The one in Pittsburgh, I went back to the bar four times before the keg kicked because it was so good. Well, it sure looks pretty. Uh, I mean, look at the, the brown bubbles, or the, sorry, the head that is brown, I mean, it almost goes mm-hmm. red. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's like a roux. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's completely dark. It is motor oil. There's no highlights. Even if you tilt the glass and look through the skinniest portion of the corner <laughs> of the glass, there is no light coming through it. Would you say there's some espresso in that? There, there's like a... In the aroma? Yeah, maybe, there's... And maybe like a burnt malt? There's uh, some coffee. There's um, like... There's a smoke, but it's not like smoked malt. It's no, like... It's, 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 like it's, it's burnt. It's like, you know, a little yeah. charcoal-ish. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Interesting. Oh, this is good. But it's not as mouth-filling and as chocolatey as... The uh, the one I had here in Pittsburgh uh, last winter, um, not this past so winter. I think it's a little bit before. better on 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 cast than maybe on, on draft. On draft, on draft it, it has something to it. I'm getting a lot more smoke in this one. Um, it's reminding me a little bit of sm- Stone Smoke Porter, actually. I'm getting a fair amount of smoke in the flavor on this one. Dark bitter chocolate up front, 
Uh, and you know what? I'm not getting so much smoke as I'm getting kind of nuttiness. Uh, say hazelnut or something like that on, on, on the end. Getting a little bit of... Um, it has this... Um, Towards raisiny, right? That you know how some imperial stouts are raisiny. I'm not tasting raisins, but I'm getting that thinner mouthfeel coating that you know you would get from a, a raisiny imperial stout. I think that you know the fact that this this uh, like Julie said pours like motor oil. You know, it has some impact on on also the, the way it's being uh, it's presented on the tongue, and it had, kind of has a slickness to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that co- cocoa or powdered chocolate. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, like Dutch processed cocoa or something like that? That's what I'm getting, and I'm all about it. It's glorious. (laughs) Now, this is, is, uh, I don't know what was up with the one that I had during GABF week and and at the brew pub, but to be honest, I I didn't like it. (laughs) I just thought, like, what is going on? So I won't, you know, I won't share that judgment because this is much better. But for some reason, on draft in Pittsburgh two winters ago, it was heaven. It was, but um, you know, I'm gonna forget about that beer. Maybe I'll never have it again. This by itself, without the the prior memory, is, is very good. I very am good. having no complaints. This is very good uh, imperial stout, and it comes in a freaking can. <laughs> you guys want to know the IBUs? Sure. You want to guess? Um, so yeah, that'll be fun. Forty. No, no. With that much malt and alcohol to balance it out, I am guessing it is in the 80s. Okay, you're close. They claim 98. Oh, jeez. See, see that? isn't 80, like above 80, supposedly. Oh. Although it's got to be different for each person. You know, now that you mention it, I'm tasting all the bitterness. <laughs> well, well, you know, the reason I didn't say 90 is because what I've heard that technically getting it higher than 90 the formulas that they may use to calculate IBUs break down because of solubility and things like that. It's really hard to get a beer higher than 90. But if you use the standard formulas, it's a linear formula. So it'll let you get it up to 100, 120, 140, 400, whatever. But in real reality, it's more of a curve where it um, curves downward and you get to a maximum uh, solubility in the IBUs. Person is beyond perception. I, I've heard that as well. Also, also yes. The guys at uh, at Anheuser Busch did they did the whole thing on IBUs, right? When we were, we were talking about on the hop trip, they went on all kinds of science about hops. Uh, I don't remember the IBU talk at all, and we don't talk about Anheuser Busch from the Brewers Association's <laughs> on the phone. So <laughs> it's well, part. Oh really? I, yeah, the larger brewers are as well. Oh, so they're, and here's they're, they're members. Part- they're members, but you guys don't consider them craft brewers, okay? And here's well, the beer as part of Saver, right? Uh, here's the beer is not part of Saver. They are um, back. They back Dave Lieberman, who's okay. Yeah, actually, during American Craft Beer Week, they're involved with the uh, Heritage Brewers Festival in St. Louis. The beginning of the Craft Beer Week. Yeah, they do some good stuff. They put out the documentary last year called American Beer. Yeah. Um, it's 
I was shocked, and I'm sure you were when you first saw it, where, you know, it starts off, oh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but you didn't see an Anheuser-Busch rep until about 30 minutes into the, the documentary. You were, you started off and you're seeing these craft beer guys, and it's like, holy crap, you know, you expected it to definitely be some, a bit of more propaganda than it was, you know? I thought American Brew was a very um, high-quality documentary on the history of beer in the country. Now, I heard a rumor from someone who wishes to remain undisclosed that was actually the third cut of the documentary. The first two were definitely propaganda for Anheuser-Busch. I, have, I cannot do... I never heard that. <laughs> okay. This is like the world's prettiest beer. It's just, it's just percolating. I mean, I'm looking at it from above in my glass, and below the head, the bubbles are coming up, and it's kind of just percolating. It's it's got just such a nice, you know, it's not quite velvety, it's close on the texture. It's, but it's got like that solid, and also not quite Dark Lord. I don't know if you've had Dark Lord yet. No, I've heard you guys go ballistic. <laughs> well, it, it, it's not just us, you know, goo goo going over, you know, the uh, second rated beer on Beer Advocate or anything. It is deserving. It. It almost, you know, is outside the realm of beer. I mean, it pours like you've had a McDonald's milkshake, right? And yeah. it, like when it's melted in like just like you know thick cream, you pour it out of your glass and down the sink or whatever. That's how thick Dark Lord pours and feels in your mouth. Wow! This is their winter seasonal Oscar Blues, and it's the perfect winter beer. No, it's 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 very good. I'm I'm happy to have tried it again. That's the main reason I bought it, even if we didn't do it on this show, is because, like I said, I had it once and loved it, had it once and thought it sucked. This one's very good. This one didn't split the middle. This one went back into the... All right, so um, I guess it's time to do our ranking. I think it is. I don't know. Do you have any idea, Greg, so far? Yeah, I do. I do have an idea, actually. Okay. So I think I'll go first here. And, okay, I'm going to put as my number one beer of the night the agave wheat because I liked, you know, I love wheat beers and I liked the kind of twist that the agave put on it. It had, you know, really interesting flavors to go along with it and just really, really nice and uh, I I just really enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, So I'm going to give that number one. Number two... I'm going to go with uh, Dale's Pale Ale because I love the big hoppiness that comes from it. I I, I love how, you know, it's got some oomph to it as opposed to, you know, it, 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 it's a little bit more American style. Like we said, it's a little bit you know bitter, more hop forward, but I kind of like that in a pale ale. Uh, next, oh, man. It, it gets hard, doesn't it? It does get hard. I mean, there's some – we had a lot of good beers tonight. Oh, man. You know, I kind of want to put Samurai next just because I thought it was so drinkable. So nice and drinkable and really, you know, goes down easy. It was really, you know, a a great example of of what you can do, you know, if you're playing around with rice and stuff and, you know, make make a great beer out of it. Mm -hmm. Next, I I guess I'll put the 1050. Uh, 1050 next, you know, it, it, it's hard to f- figure out where that fits in with all these, you know, hoppy slash wheat beers. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a different, completely different style versus the rest. You know, but, you know, it, it's a, it's, it, it really is a very good Imperial Stout. You know, it's not my favorite Imperial Stout ever. It's very good. Uh, just the other beers kind of like were, are, are, are yelling to me more. And that's the mm-hmm. only reason why. Uh, next, wow, okay, uh, Flying Dog. Uh, I, I like. I really do like the wet grapefruit 
flavor mm-hmm. from the Cascade hops. Really, really good and 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 fruity, nice stuff. And then I guess uh, Hard Luck Loser Hazen Confused, Hazen yeah Hazen Confused right Is that what's called yeah. Yeah, uh, and or hazed and infused. Hazed and infused, rather. Hazed and confused, did you say? Yes, I did. <laughs> That's a good one. He, I've had he, a lot of beer tonight. He kind of mixed in the uh, <laughs> the Jimi Hendrix uh, dazed and confused. And I just think you know, l- l- you know, it is you know the classic hard luck loser. It's re- it's good beer. It's just the other ones were saying things more to me. We were a little bit louder. Julia, would you like to go next? Okay. Are you kind of ranked the whole we, thing? We ranked, we ranked the, the whole thing. thing. Hey, I'm definitely going 10 City first. Okay. I just think it's gorgeous. It's it's special. It's got body. It's chewy. It leaves you feeling satisfied. It's, <laughs> it's just a it's just a really really rich good winter beer. That dog will hunt, like they yeah. say on the back of the can there. The agave wheat, um, Breckenridge agave wheat, just a great beer. I mean, I my mantra lately, just for educational purposes and always to ever expand my horizons, which is what beer does for me in my world, mm-hmm. is uh, drink outside the box. And I'm the first person to usually go for the ales, um, but I really uh, am not grabbing for wheat ales as much as I would quickly for the traditional ales. So it was a real pleasant surprise, and I think that... Um, uh, I'd love to know the percentage of um, sugar content from agave compared to the wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, that would really help me understand the beer more. But really, really nice, nice beer. And then the samurai was right up there too. Just hard to hard to pass up a good quenching beer like that. Absolutely. And again, one that I feel gave me a great example of how good rice can be in a beer um, and how it can how rice can actually lend to flavor in a beer. So I really enjoyed the Samurai by Great Divide. Uh, then, you know, I've got three beers pretty similar in rank. It's hard for me to put any one less than the other. The Dales, I'm drinking it all the time, so I know it well. And so that's one reason why tonight I was somewhat handicapped because that's <laughs> what I would grab out of the cooler first always. Doggy Style did a great job of being, um, you know, the classic pale ale. I like that word classic in there because I think it did itself well. It finished dry. Great beer to start off the whole tasting with, too. And the Hazed was um, maybe just not as fresh as normal, but still, I mean, it's it's just old, reliable. Hazed and infused, not confused. <laughs> so, you know, great compliments, kudos to uh, Jeff for the Colorado Six Pack. I think he chose a really interesting tasting. Yeah, it worked out well. I mean, it, it, the, actually, the the style choices makes the ranking the hardest part. And like, I'm having a hard time with the top three, or you know, because there's three beers that are unique: the agave wheat, the samurai, and the ten fifty. And then there's a really solid pale ale or two, like the Dale's pale ale and the Flying Dog. Uh-huh. And I hate to penalize. You know, a solid pale ale because they're not as new and exciting as, as the samurai, right? But we rank based on on what impression. we do, not based on the style. So yeah, we're bit ranked on impression. I just I don't want to penalize the Dale's pale ale because he's a very good, boring pale ale because <laughs> pale ales are you know have been around for hundreds of years. Right, right. Where you know agave wheat's only been around for nine months, you know. So uh, I'm just trying to figure out. I don't want to penalize the 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 traditional styles so what i think i'm gonna do is i'm gonna put the the agave wheat 
I'm going to have to put above the 1050 just because of the newness, the uniqueness. I mm-hmm. just think, you know, they took some new styles. They had a very complex grain bill. They used agave. And it worked great. Beers well put together. Very great. So I'm going to have to put that first. I'm going to put the 1050 second for many of the reasons Julia said. Um, and how can you really not rank a imperial stout at the top of your list? That's kind of why I was, you know, I was hesitant so to put it. But yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of wanted to put it on, you know, difference between enjoyability yeah. and drinkability. I They're so yummy, though. They are great. Imperial stouts are yummy. Um, number three, I'm going to put the. See, this was tough. Okay, so do do the samurai, the unique one, or the Dale's Pale Ale? I'm going to give props to the traditional style. I'm going to put Dale's Pale Ale next, up just above the samurai. And then I'm going to put the Flying Dog, which is a great English style. I like uh-huh. the Dales better, so that's why he was yeah. the traditional one. And then I'm going to put Hazen, Hazen Infused last. Wow, Hard Luck Loser last uh, on yeah, all of our lists. It's, it's, it's consistently last. Um, it's yeah. not a bad beer. It's a really good beer. Yeah, it wasn't a bad beer. It just didn't – to me, it was an easy last place, though. I mean, it just – in this lineup, it was an easy last place. So – Sorry, Boulder beer. Yep. No, I like a lot of Boulder's of beers. You know, Mojo's a good IPA. Mojo's great. And um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. You know, Sweaty Betty's a nice, um, I guess it's a mild or bitter or something like that, I think. Or is it blonde? I'm drawing a blank right now. But. Blonde. Blonde. Okay, there you go. All right. So, um, yeah, I guess that's about it for Craft Beer Radio. Julia, was there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, what a great way to spend an hour. <laughs> All right. And Actually, it's been an hour. Saver, it's important to mention all tickets have to be purchased in advance. There's a unique one. Oh, yeah, that, that's definitely true. You um, Can you order them online? Yeah, savercraftbeer.com. For Maryland, um, Virginia area people, some Dogfish Head and uh, two Rock Bottom locations have tickets. But the, the website's the, the guaranteed place um, throughout uh, the end of ticket sales. So you want to go to Saver, you've got to get your ticket in advance. And for you, Julia, in case you're interested, and for our listeners, the plan is to do a uh, Craft Beer Radio get-together at the Brickskeller after the Friday night session. That's so fun. Do you know I'm into beer because my brother had a beer collection when I was growing up, and I'm from the D.C. area. And literally, I was so interested in the packaging of beer by going to the Brick Skeller as a young child. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I mean, like, last time we had to get together with JBF, it was about six people, so it's probably not going to be a huge party, <laughs> but uh, that's the plan. If you uh, are a listener, or, uh, you know, maybe Julia will be there. No pressure, Julia. Um, we'll be at the Brick Skeller <laughs> after the uh, the session on Friday night. That's great. Well, keep, keep on what you guys are doing, and I'm so glad to see that you're still doing it. Congratulations on its baby Allison, right? Yep, that's a, that's her name, Allison Bear. Yep. Yep, that's a that's a big wonderful thing. All right, thank you very much, and uh, you know we'll have to get you back on the air uh, sometime soon before another year goes by. That's for sure. It's been fun doing these teletastings. Absolutely, I really enjoyed it. It's the gravy of my job. All right, guys, will you have a good evening? Thanks for having me. You too, Julia. And, Thanks so uh, much for being on our show. Yeah, and it's going to be one of our longest crafty radios <laughs> by the look of the recording here. We're at an hour and thirty four minutes so far. Wow. Well, we will we'll do more talking in, yeah. in, in D.C. in three weeks. Absolutely. We'll see you then. See you then. And hope to see you guys there, all of you listeners, uh, Craft Beer Radio and Savor. That's all for Craft Beer Radio. You can send us feedback to beer at craftbeerradio.com. 
and feel free to send us an audio comment in MP3. The opening and closing music was Out of Towners from the band St. Dragon and was found on the Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Check out craftbeerradio.com for more information.